my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today I'm joined by George Hopkins Kachimanga, a Malawian human rights advocate and programmer. I was recently connected to George by Victor Chikalogwe, our Black Gay Diaspora Podcast Episode 2 guest. Uh Time has moved forward. And I look forward today to conversing with George and learning about his advocacy, his career, and his other interests. So without further ado, I will introduce you to George. Hey, George, and welcome. How are you? Thanks, Eric. I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. So you're in Malawi. Yeah, I'm in Malawi now. Okay. What city? Uh, Blante. Blante. Okay. Is that the capital or is that one of the major cities? And no, uh, Blanta is not the capital, but it's considered as the commercial capital of, of Malawi. The capital city is the long way. Ah, yes, 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 I do remember that. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> now, is this your home city? I've been in Blanta for quite some time. I think since 2018, before I used to, to be in Zomba City. So I, I moved to Blanta in 2018. Before we get going on things, how's your day going so far? Well, so far so good. I think the weather is cool today. <laughs> you know, we're hit by this uh, cyclone Freddy that affected most of the countries, Mozambique, Malawi. But now it's calm. At least we can see the sun. <laughs> so anyway, the day is good today. Yeah. <laughs> and Malawi, I forgot to say, is in Southern Africa. Yes, yes, in Southern Africa, or part of Sadiq, yeah. So the weather is a lot better today, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, uh, yeah, you know, we never thought that we'd see the sun again for a while, but at least now things are getting back to normal. Okay, what's the temperature like? Honestly, I didn't check today. <laughs> I asked because uh, here in Sweden, it stopped snowing or hasn't snowed for maybe three days, but it's still cold here in Stockholm. Oh, yeah. I'm just checking now. It's around 25 degrees. 25. That's a perfect temperature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the best one for the day. <laughs> so when we initially were connected by Victor, if I'm understanding correctly, you were in South Africa? I was in Cape Town, yes, in South Africa, just to have a breather because uh, I used to work with Yes, our imbalance, which is a multi-led organization in the country. Mm-hmm. We co-founded the organization, but I resigned in January this year, so I just needed some break. That's why I went to Cape Town. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization? The organization, it was established way back in 2014. By then, there was only one organization that was dealing with LGBTI people. That was Center for Development of People, CEDEP. It was also the time where the community was not visible. Different stakeholders would not believe by then that LGBT people exist in the country. CEDEP did a good job in terms of the advocacy and stuff. 
in the beginning, but still there there were some gaps in in the programming in regards to LGBTI people. For example, if you talk of the health aspect, mm-hmm. access to condoms, uh, let's say lubricants, it was kind of difficult. Even the knowledge about them, you know, those days when people didn't know that exist, you know. So there, there was a lot of work that was supposed to be done on the ground. And people, if they go to the hospital, they will not be treated because of their sexuality. Mm. There were also those remote places where there is no access to such kind of services. So who was going to bring the services to the people? So that's why the movement was established, to reach those people that couldn't be reached, for example, by that. So we had to provide that linkage to the care. By then, with the time that the movement was starting, I was still in college. I graduated in 2015. So in 2016, that's when we came together with the guys to form our established organization and started putting things together. Yeah, we, we managed to start the registration issues in 2017. But when we tried to register the organization, the Minister of Justice denied the registration because one of the issues that the organization was built on was visibility, as I'm saying, that the LGBTI people were not visible. So we wanted to enhance the visibility for the LGBTI people in the country. So when we wrote the constitution to the Registrar General of organizations, of companies, we express it in terms of the objectives that we want to advocate for freedom of association of the LGBTI people and so on and so forth. So because of that, they rejected, citing that the membership practices are considered illegal. They thought that we want to promote same-sex marriages and the like. So they denied the registration. And because of that, we decided to seek a judicial review. The case has been in court since 2017 up to now. We're only given one audience. And then you know how the government plays around such issues. Yeah. That's how the organization started, but we have seen it grow over the years. We have seen a lot of LGBTI people being visible. We have seen a lot of advocacy, both at national and international level. Mm-hmm. We had the first Pride two years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. The first one was indoors because we didn't know what was going to happen. And then the second one we tried, people should go in the, in the streets in the capital city, that's where the parade happened. But it was okay. It was quite beautiful. It was quite peaceful. So we managed to do the petition to give it to the council. But the second parade faced some obstacles because we heard that people, uh, some guys took an injunction against the city council so that she would not receive the petition that we're submitting. But yeah, things are moving at a fast rate, I would say. So you're a pioneer. You're the one that's getting this ball rolling in Malawi of being visible as LGBTQ plus citizen. That's amazing. When you said earlier that they didn't believe that this community existed in Malawi, what was their reason behind believing that? The LGBTI programming was being done by organizations that were not led by the community. Okay. So it's like you're having people represent you in different spaces, right? So they will be asking, okay, you're saying that 
there are original people in the country. They need A, B, C, D. Where are they? Because we need to see them. Ah, I see. So it was not easy for people to come out at that time. I think that's why they would say, okay, where are the people? Because they're not in the space. So we needed to claim that space, make sure that people are aware of LGBT issues because there's a there was and there still is a big knowledge gap on what constitutes the queer community in the country. Thank you for that. It's interesting condoms and lubricants, things that if you go to say in the States or I've seen it in the United Kingdom where that's out in the open, not for us, but for heterosexual couples. <laughs> see condoms maybe here and there because of where we're coming from, the culture that we have and the country is also more religious, we would say. So even putting a condom at the office, at a different office or in whatever spaces that are supposed to be, it was considered a taboo. Mm. Maybe you're trying to promote people to be having sex. It's still a big gap in the country. But condoms, I would see nowadays there's an improvement in terms of the condoms distribution or putting them in public toilets and stuff, at least now. But before, it was it was a very big issue. So, yeah. So is this also connected to religion? Yes. I'm thinking of the United States where we still have that thing of, oh, if we teach, especially our young people, if we teach them about sex education, they'll want to have sex. Mm-hmm. But there's also data that in these states where they limit that, that there's a high teen pregnancy rate. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's also higher rates of of sexually transmitted diseases, but all connected to religion. It's, It's rooted in religion. It's rooted in our culture. What is the dominant religion in Malawi? Well, because it's been a while, but I think the Catholic Church we have a lot of Christians in the country. We also have a lot of Muslims. But in terms of Christians, it's the Catholic Church is the one that is more dominant. What was the process for you emotionally when you decided to become public with leading the charge, with saying that the LGBT community in Malawi needs to be visible? What was that like for you personally? All the time that I spent in university, and during undergrad, I never had an encounter with an LGBTI person. It didn't mean that they didn't exist in the in the college. They existed. And most of them, we ended up knowing each other after college. So, oh, okay, fine. Here you are. Here you are. <laughs> you see? There you are. That's who you are. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was that space where I wouldn't just come out, you know. Out of fear that, okay, if I do this, what is uh, what will the people say? Maybe you might be expelled. Issues like that. At the same time, you wanted to be connected to people who you can talk to easily, try to share these different stories that you're going through in your everyday life. So that platform was not there. Mm. Now, when I was close to graduation, I thought, okay, fine. Why can't we join together, start a movement, have an organization? That should speak for the people. It should be the voice of the voiceless. should ensure that the community is visible so that they're easy to network, easy to uh, support one another in this country that is too strict in terms of LGBTI issues. 
when I did that, I wouldn't just come out in the open as well without considering the family that we have, without considering the friends that we have. Because at the same time, it's not about you. It's also about the people around you. You need to prepare the people. I decided to tell my parents about it. More straight was my mother because we were the one that closed than my dad because my dad was traveling a lot by then. So I text my mother telling her about my sexuality and the partner that I was with, that we are still together by now. She didn't respond to the text for like three months. <laughs> wow, three months. Three months, yeah. She never said a word, not even hi. So I was like, okay, fine. Whenever she is ready to respond, she'll come around. I thought it would be easier because the parents had friends with some community members. Mm-hmm. But then it's their son telling them that, okay, fine, I'm part of the community, I'm gay. It's a problem. So it took forever. She ended up telling my dad about it. It was around Christmas. They called us together with my partner to join them for Christmas. So we went. Then the next thing, my dad is asking me, are you okay? Are you trying to be the one who wants to fulfill the prophecy? He's an Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist. Then at the end of the day, it's like, I don't care what choice you have made. If it's about money, just leave it. You can come home and stay. We don't mind but don't do this because of the money, because that's a perception that people have. I don't know why. (laughs) That thing of we have all this disposable income. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) That thing. That was like a Saturday. They invited us to the capital city in Longway. We were supposed to go back, but by then I was lecturing in Zomba. So it was like, before you go, we'll pass through some prophet where my mom used to go, and you're going to come out of the car together with your partner so that they should pray for you. That is option one. Okay. Option two, if you don't get out of the car, I'll just drop you at the bus station. But the moment you do that, that means you are no longer my son. We didn't get out of the car. We didn't talk for quite a long time, almost a year or so. Maybe they're just coming back because they need support. Your parents? Yes. Maybe they don't have an option, but they just have to reconcile. So we thought that was the end of it, but that was just the beginning, <laughs> you know. Mm. Yeah, they came at some point in time, took everything in the house that belonged to them, in my house that belonged to them. It was kind of disowned three, four times, but at the end of the day, they, they came around. Now we're cool, we're okay. We chill, they come, we, we also visit their house. Everything is okay. I didn't want that aspect where I'm getting into the space and getting public, advocating for the LGBTI community, advocating for human rights, and then they just see it on TV or whatever in their papers. I didn't think that was a good idea. The work has to be done at the end of the day. It's great to hear that you, with your partner, you stay true to who you are. And also that your parents came around. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. (laughs) I think we need more of these stories out in the open for Black citizens because I hear, I've heard, they say Black people are more homophobic. I don't agree with that (laughs) because I've met plenty of non-Black people who have the very same story. So I don't know why that narrative is pushed out there. But again, 
the way that your parents came around. That's just great to hear. You mentioned the prophecy within the religion. Can I ask what that is? We have Pentecostals, right? Mm-hmm. Prophets and stuff. So the idea was that we should go there, we should pray for us so that we should stop being gay. I see. Because they believed that maybe it was some demon or something that is controlling you to do that. They wanted to pray for us. It's common. We have heard a lot of stories that, okay, fine, this kid was taken to the prophets, this kid was taken to the pastors to be prayed for. Yeah, there, there are a lot of stories like that. I would like to ask those people that believe that that can change. I mean, I know the base answer is God can solve everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing. It's like, if you are not this person, how do you know, that? first of all, that this isn't real? And secondly, how do you know that this practice is going to actually work? I don't judge them. You just have to understand. It's about knowledge. There's a knowledge gap. And also looking at where we're coming from, we are growing up in an aspect where what we know is a relationship is between a man and a woman. And after 30 or 40 years, someone is telling you, no, this person is gay. Sometimes they're also confused. We have a lot of work to do in making sure that people understand the issues surrounding LGBTI people. Once we bridge that gap, it will be easy uh, over time. We rush into fighting the law, wanting to change the law. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It's, it's, it's very good. But if we can have a law, yes, that is favoring the LGBTI people. But if the people are not prepared to have or to accept or to understand the issues around the LGBTI people, then we, we haven't done anything. So we need to keep that, that balance where we are fighting the attitude on one side, but we're also fighting the law on the other side. Once we keep that balance, I think someday we're going to reach where we, we want to be. That's my view. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, and I think that's everywhere. If you're in Europe, if you're in North America, if you're in Africa, mm-hmm. there's still that thing to what you said. It's, it's the social aspect of it. The education, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, it was a few years after I came out that it hit me like, oh, my family has to come out too in a way because whenever... Someone says, oh, how's Eric doing? Oh, is he, is he married? And, and why isn't he married? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's always about marriage. My mom's side, there's some chieftainship around the family. My mom's brother is the one carrying the throne as a chief in the village. Mm-hmm. So he came with his other brother to my house. They just came without even noticing. We had to stay because we just had rumors that you are married. So being your uncles, we are supposed to know who you are married to, how the marriage happened, because we are supposed to be a part of that. If there was something to tell you about marriage that I wanted to tell you about, I would have done so. So I think it's best you leave. <laughs> because I knew there was by my mom, though she denied it. So <laughs> I'm just agreeing that, yes, people expect you to get married at some point. It's quite true. It really happens a lot. I agree with you. <laughs> so with your educational background, what did you study and which university did you go to? I went to Chancellor College. 
Okay, now it's called the University of Malawi because there were different colleges, but now it's just Chancellor College as University of Malawi. So I went to the University of Malawi. My major was computer science and my minor was mathematics. Immediately after my graduation, I started lecturing. And I think after six months, I was appointed as the head of ICT department at the college. (laughs) And the following year, I was appointed as the director of programs. The good thing is they even knew about my sexuality. They were so supportive, which was also quite encouraging for me. Mm. I left the college work, the academic world in 2018. Because as I said, when we were doing the establishment of the organization, the first funding came in 2017. We were just trying to see if things were working and stuff. By then I was still in Zomba, but I was commuting, working mostly from home, just to make sure that we're establishing the systems, we're getting people and so on and so forth. And in 2018, that's when we saw that at least the organization is at a point where I can leave the other work and fully concentrate on the organization. It has been my journey, but I'm studying now business administration, master's of business administration. I'll be finishing this, graduating this August. Okay. So it's a shift from sciences to the business world. <laughs> Doing that work, you're also in the management position, you're managing an organization. So I needed at least some background to professionally run the institution. So what was life like for you as a young child? Who were you growing up? As a young child, I grew up mostly with my parents, except at some point when my dad lost his job. There were issues around the workplace. They even offered that she would go back to work, but he refused because of the issues that happened at that time. The family was exposed to a lot of trauma as well. So he decided he didn't want us to go through that again. So he literally quit. That was in 2003. We were separated now. I was staying with a brother to my mom Mm -hmm. for like a year or two. And my sister was staying with my auntie from my dad's side. The parents were just staying together until 2006 when things started to stabilize. That's when we also get back together, you know. But after finishing my cylinder level, I was like, no, I can't stay with parents anymore. So I decided to be staying alone. So I left my parents' house when I was about 16 years old with my friends that were together at Sunday school. We started a small organization. It's still there. Mm-hmm. In remote areas, you have a lot of dropouts. So I wanted to be helping those dropouts to get back to school, especially those ones that were dropping out because of financial reasons. So we opened a secondary school to assist school dropouts, especially from the remote areas. So I've been staying alone because I didn't want to depend on my parents. And you started this organization when you were 16? Yes. Wow. Impressive. Just wanted to do something because by then, if you finish under school, there used to be a one year, two years gap before you start college. So I just wanted to see that I'm doing something that is productive, that is helping 
the community. So it sounds like you've always had this ambition to succeed, but also to help those around you. If you help your neighbor, everything is going to be fine. Everyone will be happy at the end of the day. I like that. You are happy, but what about your neighbor? So when did you become aware of your own same-sex attractions? Wow, that's a long time ago. (laughs) I still have some memories when I was a little kid, somewhere around five, six years of age. When you pray around in those ages, you know who to pray around with when kids go play. (laughs) Yeah. It was that kind of childish thing. And then you'd see you're getting into Sunday school, you're still growing the feelings. But literally, there's no one to talk to. It's just something that you're keeping to yourself. I think the only time I started talking about it was when I was in college in third year, when Facebook came in that time. You see that people are there, they're talking. So you'd be like, oh, so there are people around. But people are still living fear that they can't be coming out like that. So it's, it's a long time ago. What was the process for you in realizing that and then where you got to a place of acceptance of that's part of who you are? <laughs> I wouldn't say in my context, right? I didn't struggle about it because it was too clear for me and I didn't have room to be confused. But I remember, of course, at some point where I tried to date for the experimental part. I was like, let me date a girl. (laughs) Yes. And that usually lasted two weeks, the relationship. And she even saw that it's not working. We're good friends uh, up to up to now. Yeah, but it's something that I wasn't confused at all, I would say. The only thing that I was missing that time is to have people to talk to, people within the community that you can talk to in terms of the support. That was the only piece missing in me, but not the confusion, no. It's never happened. Now, you've mentioned your partner. How long have you been together? We have been living together since 2016. Before moving together, we dated for like two years as well. But out of those nine years, we've been staying together for the past seven years. We also had some issues because the parents passed away. And then he was mostly supported by the brothers, his brothers. And then after realizing his sexuality, they had to chase him. So he was kind of in exile for, for quite a while. Until there was one of these years that we met, and then he taught me his story. He just likes that support, you know? So we kept encouraging each other, but there's nothing I could do by then since I was still in college. So when I finished college, started working, I called him that we should talk. Because when he was in exile, I was like, we need to have a purpose in your life, right? Decide what you want to do with your future. Uh, so I asked him whether he wanted to do business or whether he wanted to proceed with school. Then after a careful thought, he said, no, I want to, to do school. School, that means you need to stay here. We need to stay together. That's the only way I can support you because I'm working there. It's also easier for you to get into the college. So yeah, that is uh, accounting. 
up to the diploma level. That's when he stopped. Then he taught me, okay, I'm doing this because you asked me to do it, but I really want to do nursing. That's been my dream. That's what I want to do. Because the mother, before she passed, she was a nurse by profession and he wanted to continue the mother's legacy. I said, okay, fine. So he enrolled for nursing four years ago. He just graduated this year. They were both two uh, enterprising people. (laughs) (laughs) That also gives me to why I'm deciding to start this foundation. It's one of the issues that we want to focus on is economic empowerment of the LGBTI people. It's a narrative that most people run away from, whether it's a donor space or whatever. Because when we say economic empowerment, what comes to people is you want to give money maybe for startup of a business and stuff. No, that's not it. There are different ways you can go around it. If an LGBTI person is economically empowered, it gives another sense of power, whether at a family level, community level, national level, international level. Someone who is not economically empowered, they'll just follow. Mm-hmm. So you need people to stand out. But how do you make them stand out? You need to empower them. In different aspects, but one of the strongest aspects that the community has to be empowered is economically. Because you have a certain power in you that attracts the people as well. It's easy for people to mix up in the society. The community loves drinking, likes having fun. No, we can do more than that. That's why. (laughs) We can be fabulous and we can also support ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know. If there's any empirical evidence around this, but I'm told that most of the people in the LGBTI spectrum are smart, very smart people. What is needed is the support. To your point of being smart, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Not that straight people aren't smart, but I think a lot of us are my story, but I've related to a lot of stories. Is We have to become observers early on because there's a part of us Mm-hmm. that is always aware, like, I think I'm a little different than everyone else around me, so I need to study everything. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite true. So, yeah, we'll see how, how we move. So you mentioned being in Cape Town to kind of get away, it sounds like, and recharge. Is traveling something that you enjoy doing? Oh, yeah, I do a lot. The things we have... We have our own culture, we have our own region, we have our own way of life. But if you travel, you're going to learn a lot of things. Things that you might do better. It also gives you that environment, which is very good to relax, I would say. But mostly I do travel to learn, mostly. I'll give you an example. Um, When we went to Cape Town this time around, we participated in the Cape Town Pride. The way the Pride is being conducted, it also becomes a learning ground for you on how you can improve in your programming, on how you can improve in a lot of issues, even on a personal level, a lot of things. So traveling to me, I think it's very essential 
And I really encourage people to, to really travel and see out the world, see what is happening on the other side. Yeah, that's why I travel mostly. <laughs> Do you have a favorite city outside of Malawi or country that you like to visit? I would say most of them in Cape Town. That's where I go often, yeah? So I find it quite nice. Mm -hmm. There is diversity as well. In as much as others would say that, no, this is a racist country, but that diversity is, is very important. Being one of these, I would say, safe cities as well. That's why I like going there. I would like to see a lot of places as well, visit other countries with time. Mm -hmm. What makes Malawi unique and special, like as far as culture or food? The people are beautiful people, <laughs> you know? Friendly as well, peaceful, you know. The people are nice, generally. And we also have nice places to visit, like Malawi. It's one of the lakes that has fresh waters in the world. Over 2,000 species of fish. And the mountainside, the tea fields, the parks. But most people, when they come here, the first thing that they want to do is go to Lake Malawi. Okay, I have to look that up. Yeah, it's quite good. Good beach. All right. And how many languages do you speak? Well, it's just English and national language. Always fascinated by language. Mm. This is just my opinion. I think Americans, we're at a disadvantage because we only know one language. There is some truth to that thing that Americans travel and they expect everyone to speak English. And it's like, well, that's a luxury. You shouldn't expect that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we go to places where people speak English, there should be a sign of respect in that. Am I allowed to ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah, uh, in terms of the age group, we tend to forget that we're going to grow old. The ordinary people that are aging, they kind of feel like they're left out in the space. There's nothing that we're doing to them. How is your experience around that? I mean, I'm older than you are in an age group where I should be thinking about that more. <laughs> but that's a great thing to bring up. And you've given me an idea to reach out more to people who are older, who are elderly, mm -hmm. and especially with gay men, I'll say, because we are so heavily focused on the visual in pop culture. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for that, because I need to focus on that more because that's the gift of life is getting older. And we do need to see those examples. I can say for myself that when I want to watch a movie, most movies, gay movies, there's a lack of Black people. We know that. But as far as age, there's very few that are profiling couples in particular over the age of 30, 35. And I would like to see that because mm -hmm. we still are living. We still are pursuing our goals, our ambitions. Yes. So we do need to see that. So yeah, thank you for that. I need to do that more. <laughs> <laughs> I was just checking. <laughs> yeah, no, because you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, one of the areas that we are kind of liking. There's a lot that can be done. Someone has to do something about something for something to happen. Well, I'm going to give you the credit and then I'm going to widen my net and look for more of us who are older. We do need to hear those voices because they hold the history 
they have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, what I knew at 25, 30, 35, I didn't know that much. (laughs) (laughs) Not as much as I assumed I did at that age. Mm -hmm. The gift of getting older is if you're open to it, you can still learn and you can still grow. That population definitely has a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom and a lot of history. That'll be nice to do. Of course, you still look 20, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but thank you. Um, sure. And I was going to say the same thing because I don't know how old you are, but when you were mentioning timelines, mm-hmm. I saw your Instagram and I'm thinking, I don't know how old he is, but he looks really young. So, <laughs> <laughs> Not that old, not that young. <laughs> ah, that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. When people ask me, I say, Pick a number and I'll let you know if it's right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to go around it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right, say I don't lie and I don't volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's okay. It's a good approach. <laughs> but I am grateful. The gift of life is getting older. So yeah, there's there's a lot of gratitude in that. Yeah. So But anyway, I want to thank you so much for coming onto this platform and thank Victor for connecting us and uh, ask you if there's any final thoughts or insights that you want to share. I would like to thank you for giving this place. I think this is quite good. Honestly, it's my first time having this one-on-one interview around the stories and stuff. I wasn't expecting it. So when Victor mentioned it, I was so excited. I was like, yeah, we need to get the stories out there. We never know. It's going to help someone else at some point, you know. So thank you for this press. And also just to encourage the community, they are not alone. We are always there to support one another. In case maybe someone feel like they are kind of trapped in a certain space that they don't want to come out of it, just reach out. It might be someone who is around there in the country or whatever, but there's a whole lot of network around the world and a lot of people that are willing to help and support. Just know that you're not alone and yeah, let's strive and be happy. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Speaking of networking, where can we find you online? I think I'm almost everywhere. <laughs> so okay. it's easy. Just type a name. you find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. I'm, I'm everywhere. So oh, okay. mm-hmm. quite reachable. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll make sure to share those links when this episode loads. Again, thank you. And I will let you get to your afternoon. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>